Now 7.42 nearly. Um, Very sadly, Ebola has been making a comeback in the Democratic Republic of Congo with dozens of cases confirmed and more than 20 deaths. Uh, In fact, the country's outbreak could reach the hundreds based on this week's revised response plan from the World Health Organization. Could it even go significantly higher than that? Uh, We're seeing other... um, connected stories um, with surrounding countries making their own moves. Uh, Dr. Nebel Ashur joins us first of all on this today, Department of Medical Science and Public Health at Anglia Ruskin University in the UK. Thank you for taking the time. Good morning to you. Good, um, good evening, actually, to you from here. Uh, good morning to all, of you, uh, to all of you and your audience. And uh, can you just start by giving us a a quick overview of the Ebola situation in Africa right now, especially in the Democratic People's uh, Republic of Congo. Um, I think I think it's, it's really a good idea to have actually um, a quick look at what happened, um, you know, since this Ebola thing started. Um, actually, it started in the nineteen uh, about forty years ago, in nineteen seventy-six specifically. Um, it was discovered first in the Ebola River, and I believe that is from where got the name of Ebola. Um, it started, um, as I said, so it started there just in the rural area, but then actually started spreading properly and uh, showed, you know, it's really big strength uh, because it killed a lot of people. I mean, out of 600 people, in 76, um, 430 of them passed away. Um, a few um, years later, um, exactly in the 1992, um, it was discovered in Italy, US, and the Philippines. Um, that is through animals that were brought um, from the Philippines, and obviously they were contaminated. Um, and that, of course, you know, kept kept going as as we progress, as we can see, you know, severity. Uh, for example, in 1995, um, it spread. There were about 315 cases, um, and the, most of them they spread through families and hospitals, etc. So uh, there was, you know, a lot of transmission happening specifically in hospitals. And what they did at that stage is actually they you know, took some uh, preventive measures, such as you know the use of gloves, um, the face masks, and things like that. And those uh, can re- reduce you know the contamination really, really you know um, highly. Um, in the 2000s, um, also we we know that in Uganda also same same thing happened. Um, so uh, it, 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 there was an outbreak there, um, about 425 cases. About half of them passed away, and uh, what, what what happened there? What happened that stage was actually a pretty good response that came from uh, you know the local community and the government, um, because they, they were providing a lot of you know correct and timely uh, information, and that you know reduced um, uh, a lot of spreading and, and the harm you know and the harmful uh, harmful harmful um, rumors etc. So that could be spreading you know to the people themselves you know people going to. Um, affected area, things like that. Um, in 2014, I think that is perhaps the largest record in history um, because there were over 28,000 people that uh, were, um, you know, uh, affected. Approximately 11,000 of them passed away, unfortunately. Um, however, there were plenty and plenty of lessons to be taken from that uh, from that particular experience. 
um, such such as, for example, the weak surveillance, uh, fragility of you know, healthcare infrastructure, poor infra, you know, infection controls. Um, so the, the, the healthcare sector itself was really, really overstretched, and that, of course, you know, added more and more, you know, uh, to the complexity of it. Um, it was a pretty good. Uh, there was a pretty good uh, on, on the other side. There was a pretty good co- collaboration happening between the national and the international, um, you know, communities and uh, efforts that led basically to overcoming that that big challenge. Now, the the, the one that we have now, okay, somehow started in 2017 um, and started just with eight cases. Half of them passed away, okay, but it starts kind of triggering some some key key lessons there. Um, these these some of, some of them um, are the, la- the lack of logistics because people started the international community and started learning that actually we need to be involved from day one. We have to start doing something there. So there were plenty and plenty, you know, like the MSF, um, WHO, you know, the CDC and the USA and all of those. So they were heavily involved there. But the problems that were were were, were there. There was you know lack of logistics. And also the the, remote, the the remoteness of the affected areas was really really kind of a big challenge for them as well, and um, simply because there was limited services, you know, the areas were pretty far from each other, and that created just kind of you know extra you know extra burden on um, on them. Okay, so in in, in now late, later later in the year the, the the outbreak was you know declared that's finished, but we are not really sure where this. This one here actually is continuity, and that's what I believe is continuity of that one, or yes. it's actually it's, it's a different one. Well, I mean, it's certainly always scary when we hear that very name, Ebola. Um, on the one hand, we've had headlines in the last few days, um, this week, in fact, suggesting that the World Health Organization is cautiously optimistic. Uh, on the other, and, and I know you being based in the UK will be very familiar with the kind of sometimes scare tactics employed by newspapers like the Daily Mail. But this headline from the Daily Mail yesterday read, Ebola outbreak in Democratic Republic of Congo feared to have killed 25 could spread rapidly and share similarities to the pandemic of 2014 that killed 11,000 people. Citing, uh, I guess, one of your contemporaries, uh, Dr. Derek Gatherer from Lancaster University. What, What do you make of that kind of headline? I think it's better in these kind of situations, much, much better to really focus on, um, uh, on preparing for the issue, okay, and trying to uh, make ourselves resilient to, to face it, more than kind of just making people scared and making people, you know, worried and, you know, anxious about how to do and how to deal with things. And I think this is perhaps one of the big things that we need to, to, to focus on. Um, obviously, what, what we have now in um, in the, the, the Democratic Republic of, uh, of Congo, um, what is scary in reality, okay, what is higher, shall we say, rather than scary, okay, is that basically it moved from those rural areas to the bigger cities, okay. Now we are talking about approximately two million people, okay, are, are affected with, no, not affected, sorry, but they are exposed to it, okay. So this means that the virus actually has got much better chance, okay, for it, obviously not for us, it's much higher risk for us, um, you know, to, to, um, to, to spread much faster, okay. So this is really, really kind of tough and quite really 
kind of needs a lot and a lot of preparedness there. Okay, and we need a lot of measures to take it to to be taken there. Um, You know, to um, you know, we know that the virus has already spread previously between you know not just you know locally but even internationally, as we said in 1992 or 20, up it was all the way up you know to um, the Philippines to um, you know USA to Italy, etc. So. The, 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 the question the question here is that what do we need to do you know yeah. to make sure that these you know that these that these don't don't, don't go you know uh, all over the places and just you know contain them in their places it's that but, um it's that international potential that also brings in so much global worry dr nebel Ashur, thank you so much for speaking to us from your position at anglia ruskin university in the uk okay thank you um let's um now bring in dr bruce ribner from Emory University School of Medicine, who actually first came up with the idea to build a a centre, Emory University Hospital in Atlanta, where a state-of-the-art isolation unit funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has seen patients be able to recover from Ebola there. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I guess what's really interesting about this is if people get the right medical treatment, the the sort of index of hope rises. Well, certainly, as we observed during the uh, outbreak of 2014-2016, the mortality rate of patients coming back to either Europe or the United States was substantially lower than the mortality rate than we saw in West Africa. And yes, it's because... Our colleagues in West Africa have limited resources and we are resource rich. And that does make a substantial difference. Can you talk to us a bit more about the process of actually treating patients back in 2014 at a time when global fear was really spiking? We even had establishments here in Korea. I remember one particular was notorious uh, in Seoul for for trying to stop people from Africa entering a bar for fear that they might spread Ebola. It was, it was really at that level, the, the, the hysteria, the paranoia. Well, there was certainly a lot of hysteria in the United States also. Uh, while we had patients at uh, our serious communicable disease unit, uh, we actually had food delivery services that were refusing to deliver to our front door. Uh, because they were afraid of the patients that were in our unit. So that is absolutely correct. I think one of the things that we were able to sort of put to rest was that this was a uniformly fatal disease. And actually, we had four patients with Ebola. We subsequently had another patient who had loss of fever. And not only did they survive, but they actually walked out of our hospital. Which is an amazing victory for you. Um, But... You have uh, suggested this this method of building isolation rooms for unexpected disease outbreaks. How could that model be taken to some of those even rural areas? Is it even possible to think about it in, in so, those regions in West Africa that are most sorely affected by Ebola outbreaks? I don't think it's realistic to expect that a resource-poor environment as exists in much of Africa could duplicate the 
what is frankly very expensive facilities that we have created around the United States. But I think the principles are still the same. Um, we, we didn't treat a lot of patients here compared to the many who were treated in West Africa, but we learned a great deal from them. We had a lot of conference calls with our colleagues in West Africa during the outbreak. And you may have noticed that uh, during the outbreak, even in West Africa, mortality rates started to drop substantially. Um, the other thing which is important, uh, unfortunately, all of the Ebola outbreaks have been characterized by a large disproportionate involvement of healthcare workers. Even in the current outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, the update from yesterday in the World Health Organization bulletin tells us that of the 52 individuals who have or felt to have Ebola in the current outbreak, five are healthcare workers. And so one of the things we really have to work on, uh, what, what we like to say is we want to deliver excellent medical care safely. And so there are, again, a lot of lessons that we learned, which we have shared with our colleagues, even in resource-poor environments, to help keep their healthcare workers safe so that they can continue to deliver the medical care to their many patients. Some doctors believe that they can put an end to the disease, to Ebola. Um, they're, they're hopeful that we, we could be reaching a, a tipping point, that even this latest outbreak is a chance to test some of the experimental uh, either vaccines or cures even. What's your view on where we're currently at in the battle against Ebola? Well, Ebola is in the natural reservoirs. We know it's in bats. We suspect it's in some of the great apes and some of the other animals. So we will never be able to eradicate it. Uh, what we have to focus on uh, is firstly developing an effective vaccine so that we can vaccinate high-risk individuals such as healthcare workers who are likely to treat patients with Ebola. And also, as is currently being done in the outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, as soon as we identify patients who have Ebola, uh, we vaccinate all of their contacts. And at least there's reasonable evidence uh, from studies that were done in Guinea in 2015 that that can substantially decrease the numbers. So our hope is not to eliminate, eliminate this disease because we never will since it's in the wildlife, but um, effectively treat patients who have it and use vaccination to uh, protect those who come into contact with them and the healthcare workers who deal with them. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's also a pleasure to have you on the line today, Dr. Ribner. Good luck with your ongoing efforts and maintaining facilities, which I know have come under criticism when they're not, when they're not in use. Well done for, uh, for your efforts in saving those lives so far. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to speak with you and your audience, sir.